Romans chapter 8, we're going to start there, and then we'll see some other passages as we think about God as our Heavenly Father this morning. We have to start with a question, and this question is going to elicit all sorts of different responses. Every one of us will have a different response to this question. The response will range, there will be a range of emotions, from that of love and fondness to anger and resentment. And the question is simply this, is that is, what kind of relationship have you had with your father? What kind of relationship have you had with your father? Even that very question, some people hear that question, and all of a sudden you just see their face just change, uh, almost smirking. They might even respond, what relationship? Your father may have been a loving figure in your life. He might have been a loving figure who provided a continual sense of security and acceptance. Or your father may have been an intimidating figure who always left you on edge, insecurity. Maybe your father was tender and compassionate. Maybe he was downright abusive. Maybe your father was a key figure in your life, just instrumental in your development as a man or a woman. Or maybe he was just absent. Maybe you cherish your relationship with your father. Or maybe you've never really had a relationship with him to start with. Whatever your background, whatever my background with our father or lack thereof, one thing is true. Even if your father was absent, the relationship with your father or lack thereof has fundamentally shaped who you are. And, for our purposes this morning, really has fundamentally shaped your understanding of fatherhood. As a Christian, this is important to consider. It's important because the Bible teaches us that since you believed in Jesus, the God of heaven, the God of heaven has actually adopted you into his family. And the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, has become your heavenly father. We must consider how our experiences as uh, our experiences with our earthly fathers have influenced perhaps the way we think about God himself. God, who is our Heavenly Father. If our Father was absent or apathetic or authoritarian or abusive, we may be guilty of projecting that upon our concept of God. We may be tempted to think about God as simply a heavenly version of our earthly fathers. And so many of us this morning are coming from broken homes. It's become the rarity to say we've come from a healthy home with a father and a mother, a mother who's loving and uh, exhibiting and exemplifying femininity within a loving relationship with her husband who's exemplifying a loving example of masculinity and uh, contributing to the lives of the children so they can be the well-formed individuals that God has designed the nuclear family to produce. That's a very rare occurrence anymore. And so many of us come from broken homes, absentee fathers, even overtly abusive families. That's, that's the re- And, you know, you've come to Christ, but we all come to Christ with baggage. We all come in with, a, with arms full of luggage. And some of that we drop the moment we receive Christ, okay, but much of it we carry right on into our Christian lives. And it's our whole life long, that process of sanctification is learning to release our grip upon some of that baggage. Well, some of that baggage contributes to how we understand God is our Father. And so this morning, I think we can confess, if you're a believer this morning, let's allow Scripture to fundamentally transform our understanding of fatherhood. Not only to contribute to our relationship with God, but also to help us as men to be the fathers that we ought to be. You have the power this morning, if you are a Christian man, you have the power this morning by God's Holy Spirit and by all of His means, by the Word of God, by the example of others, by the encouragement and instruction of others, through the influence and instruction of the church, you have the ability to absolutely alter that chain of events, that passing down of a dysfunctional home. You have the ability, as a believer with His Holy Spirit, to make it stop now and for you to be that godly, loving, compassionate, empathetic father Uh, that he would have you to be. You can change the next generation and generations to come. And so we dare not view our Heavenly Father through the lens of our own experience, but instead to allow that view to be shaped by Scripture. So hopefully this morning, uh, our time together can be well spent to that end. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8. 
verse 14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. An amazing chapter, Romans chapter 8. In the context leading up to this portion, Paul would have his readers understand that we are free from the condemnation of the law. If you're a Christian, the condemnation of the law is turned away. Uh, The law condemns us as sinners. There's a penalty to be paid for our sin. uh, But through Christ, that condemnation is turned away. Freedom, pardon, justification. And so the hostility that once existed between us and God is eliminated. And we're free, according to Paul in Romans 8, to live according to the Spirit. Beyond that, it reminds us that since we are saved, God will grant us resurrection in the last day. That's there in Romans 8. And what he's doing here, though, is he's telling us that our relationship with God is a relationship of love and security. Love and security. And he drives the point home there in verse 15 by reminding us that what? God has given us the spirit of adoption. That is not only is the enmity between us and God eliminated, but what he's saying is that God himself has brought us in, has ushered us into a relationship with himself. He's father and we are his children. Adopted. He's made himself our loving Heavenly Father and we his children. And now he says there in verse 15, Paul says that through his spirit we cry, Abba, Father. Now, a couple theological terms. You think about justification. Justification is that legal declaration that we are righteous. On the basis of Christ's righteousness. And so Christ lives a perfect life. He perfectly fulfills the law. And that now is imputed to us, placed upon us, so that we uh, can be declared Righteous, that is, uh, the record is wiped out, the law has no hold on us, the condemnation is turned away. Legally speaking, we are declared righteous. Okay. But beyond justification, what we're dealing with here is adoption. Adoption is different. Adoption, not only are we brought into relationship, but God actually gives us His Holy Spirit so that practically speaking... You and I can grow into relationship with Him. And so what does it say? The Holy Spirit cries, Abba, Father. You and I now have an inward compulsion that is leading us to relationship with the Father and helping us to grow in depth and intimacy in that relationship. The Holy Spirit in us is practically working to help us uh, love Him as Father, understand Him as Father, relate to Him as Father. That's practical. That's real. That's developed as we use God's means Uh, for growth. And so he's continually working in us by his spirit to assure us that we are his children and to help us grow in the knowledge and intimacy of that relationship. This morning, if you're a Christian, you're adopted. Not only has he adopted you, but he's given you his Holy Spirit to constantly remind you of that adoption. So as we grow in the faith and the spirit within us continually helps us to grow in our faith, and in that relationship, what we ought to be doing is increasing in our love for and satisfaction in God as our Heavenly Father. Not only this, but again, what does it say? The cry is what? Abba, Father. We don't want to go too far with this, and some people, you know, say, well, it means that God's your daddy. Well, we don't want to go too far with this, but it does speak to intimacy, and it is a uh, title for God or a uh, name for God that not all the Jews were very comfortable with. It really speaks of a little bit too much intimacy uh, for the Jews in Christ's day to be comfortable with. But Jesus uh, himself cried, Abba, Father, in Mark 14, and now he says that we have the same type of access through him to God so that we also can cry, Abba, Father. And it does speak of intimacy. You think about this. Think about a man who's extremely powerful, maybe a king, Somebody who's extremely powerful, and you know the, the kind of the view of a king. You think about like with Esther and so on. You have a king, and you're not allowed to come into his presence unless you're granted special uh, privilege. Think about a king who doesn't allow anybody into his presence. In fact, you come into his presence uh, uninvited, and you may actually face serious consequences. Now, picture a king on his throne, incredible power and authority. No one really has access the king's young child. 
barges into his presence, runs up onto his lap, and maybe grabs his cheeks. And others look at that. It's okay, he's my son. It's okay, he's my daughter. Unheard of access. Access that's reserved within the context of a very special relationship. What the Bible says is that we are adopted into the family of God, so we have such access. Christ cries, Abba. We cry, Abba. Why? Because Jesus is the one. The veil of the temple has been rent. Access has been made. Uh, Jesus is in the presence of the Father. We are in the presence of the Father, and we can cry, Abba. We cannot allow, especially if you have a background where your relationship with your father was cold. Maybe that cold, distant patriarchies, you know, he provided, sure, didn't really have a relationship, really was no tenderness, you really couldn't open up to him, didn't really understand you, didn't really know you. Do not allow that to shape your understanding of God. We are adopted into his family, and we have free access to him as our loving Heavenly Father. Now, we don't use the fact that we have free access to God, we don't allow that to some way diminish our view of his holiness. Because he allows us free access into his presence and to have an intimate, vulnerable relationship with him, it doesn't mean he's less holy. But what it should instead do is help us understand the immensity of what Jesus has actually accomplished for us. Because of Christ's perfect righteousness. Because he made the way we can have this type of loving relationship with the holy God of heaven. Jesus destroyed the enmity which existed between us. Far from causing us to downplay God's holiness, this should cause us to just uh, stand in awe of the freedom we have to call him Abba. J.I. Packer said this, You sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase, if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's own Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. So this morning, collectively as the church, we can say we are the children of God. He is our heavenly father. And that's not just title. That's not just status. But that's real relationship. So this morning, do you think of God as your heavenly father? You think of God as, as your heavenly father, and have you allowed your understanding of fatherhood to be shaped not by personal experience, but by scripture? So, we have been given free access. We come into God's presence freely. We can come with boldness. We don't come with irreverence. But we also protect against a rigid formality, which seems to forget that we're speaking to our loving heavenly father who delights to hear us. Now, we're going to, for the rest of our time, just consider a few aspects of the character of God and how we relate to him as our Heavenly Father. And we're going to see how this helps us with some of the struggles of life. First of all, that having been adopted into the family of God, having God as our Heavenly Father means that he knows us and he values us. He knows us and he values us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus is giving instruction regarding prayer. And he's talking, I mean, there's Jews in the presence. Uh, of course, this is a corrupt, uh, formal, uh, hypocritical, religious setting for the most part. And uh, much of the father-like relationship that was intended to take place between God and his people has been lost. And so in Matthew chapter 6, he's giving instruction on prayer. And he says in Matthew 6, 7, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases on, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What Jesus is doing is, again, teaching people to pray. And what He does is He warns against the dangers of the hypocritical religious elites of the day, but He also warns against praying like the pagan Gentiles. 
the hypocritical religious class of his day who loved to pray those public pious prayers so they could seen by others. The Gentiles or the pagans who would pray chant-like, repetitious prayers that they really didn't mean anything. I'm going to be heard by God just by the sheer volume of words that I'm speaking. And you know this if you come from a Catholic background and you have a rosary and you're constantly repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again as if the ritual of it is going to accomplish something. In contrast to these, what Jesus says is that Christian prayer is a tender conversation between a child and his caring father. That's Christian prayer. A father who loves his child and invites the child into his presence and says, talk to me. So he says, don't be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the pagans. Saying that we don't need to come into God's presence and beg for attention. We don't need to earn the right to come into his presence. Why? Jesus says, you don't need to pray like them. Why? Because he knows what you have need of before you ask. Understand who you're dealing with. You don't have to go through this genuflection and these ritual to try to get his attention. He knows what you have need of. Come and talk. Open up your heart. He knows what you have need of before you even ask him. Instead, when you pray, pour out your heart with the confidence that he not only hears, but the Bible says of Christ that he's our sympathetic high priest. He's sympathetic to all of our weaknesses. He knows. Not only does he know, it's not just head knowledge. He knows us intimately, and he's sympathetic to our needs and to our weakness. So just come and share your heart. And you say, well, if he already knows, then why pray? If he already knows what we have need of before we ask him, then why pray? Well, because prayer is an expression of faith. Prayer is an expression of dependence. Prayer is an acknowledgement that everything that we have comes from him. Prayer is good for our own soul as we communicate with the Father. And it's exactly what he asks us to do, frankly. And so we can be confident that our Heavenly Father not only knows our needs, but is sympathetic towards those needs. And so as a loving Father, he has compassion. He has compassion. He has compassion upon us and our struggles. When we feel like no one else cares or no one else knows our needs or we don't have any relationship in, where we, in which we feel we can be vulnerable to express those needs, we can be assured that our Heavenly Father is sympathetic and compassionate and has a listening ear. Not only does He know our needs before we ask them, but according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, let's look at it. Matthew 10, 29, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. What does that mean? He knows everything about you. It's an expression of intimate care. It's, It's an expression of intimate knowledge. He knows everything about you. And you see this phrase elsewhere in Scripture where it'll say things like, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. The idea is that there's going to be protection and care. And so Jesus is painting a contrast here. He says, two sparrows are sold for a penny. They're nothing. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. I mean, the Lord even exercises that kind watch care through his common grace over even worthless sparrows. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's an that's a incredible contrast. He knows everything about you and he values you. So what in verse 31? What's the consequence then? So then if God values us, so he not only knows us, but he values us. If that's the case, what? Fear not. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, just stop there for a second. We live in a day, and you especially see it with Christian music. Just stupid, stupid stuff. You have... I have a... I have... A, I have a pounding headache right now. So I'm not in a great mood. You listen to some Christian music. And this, this repetitive phrase and repetitive idea of how wonderful we are. And as if God couldn't resist saving us because we're so valuable. There is a way to state that truth which is heretical and stupid. And a way to express that truth, which is incredibly rich and biblical. He values us. Why? He values us because he spent the blood of his own son to purchase our salvation. We are valuable because of what he has done for us. We are valuable because of the value of Christ. And so if we don't finish that sentence, he values us because of Christ. We've got it wrong. 
Yes, God loves us and he cares for us. He values us. There's intimate care. There's intimate protection. There's intimate uh, provision. That's all there, but it's all because of Jesus. He values us. And so fear not. So everyone who acknowledges me, Jesus says before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. His point there is the value that God has placed upon those who fear him. And so the consequence, fear not. Question. You ever felt alone in life? You ever felt alone in life while you were sitting right next to a whole bunch of people? You ever felt alone in life even when you are existing in a home with family members? You ever felt alone in life when you're even hanging out with your friends? Why can we feel alone even when we're around people? We feel alone even when we're around people because there might be people around us, but we feel as if they don't know us. They don't know my struggles. They don't know my needs. I don't feel like I can be honest and vulnerable with them. And so there's a loneliness, even in the midst of people. We're learning about our relationship with God the Father as he knows us intimately. That is, there's nothing we can share with God that will scare him away. There's nothing we can share with God where he's going, oh, whoa, whoa. You should have put this on the table before we entered into relationship with one another. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your motivations better than you know your own motivations. He knows why you think the way you think. He knows why you do the things that you do. And you are spending, and I, we're spending our entire lives trying to figure ourselves out. Have you ever asked yourself, why do I keep doing that? Why do I think this way? And you mean it. You really can't figure yourself out sometimes. God knows us. He knows our motivations. He knows why we think the way that we think. He understands how all of our life experiences have shaped who we are today. And he understands how to employ his means to make us more and more like Jesus, no matter where we're coming from. And so our Heavenly Father not only knows us, not only knows what we have need of, he knows our very nature. There's no need or sense in trying to pretend like we're something that we're not when we approach our Heavenly Father. He understands who we are, again, why we think the way we think, why we do the things we do, all of this. So there's no need for pretense. We are an open book before the Father. We are naked and exposed before his eyes, right? So we might as well be honest and vulnerable. And you think, well, that is intrusive. You say, that's intrusive. God knows everything about me. I'm an open book. I mean, all those things you keep from other people, he knows. And you say, well, that's intrusive. That means it's really hard to approach him because, frankly, I'm embarrassed by who I am and the things I've done. Listen, if you're a child of God, that should not be a sense of intrusiveness or embarrassment. That should be liberating. The pretense is gone. You don't got to pretend to be anything. You don't need to hide anything. It's all out in the open. It's all out in the open, and it's all exposed even before you come to him in prayer. And because of Jesus, he still loves you. We often hide our deepest struggles and most embarrassing sins from other people. And that really hampers relationship. Keeps us from being vulnerable. That vulnerability is a hallmark of relationship between God the Father and his children because we understand he already knows everything. So our Heavenly Father values us. Our Heavenly Father hears us. And we'll just skip over this because those points have just kind of merged at this point. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when Jesus is teaching prayer... The first two words of that prayer is what? Our Father. And so Jesus wants us to know right out the gate, the nature of your relationship uh, with God is that of a father and a child. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, as Christian people, we must learn to appropriate by faith the fact that God is our Father. Christ taught us to pray, our Father. This eternal, everlasting God has become our Father. And Martin Lloyd-Jones continues, in the moment we realize that, everything tends to change. He is our Father, and He's always caring for us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He loved us so that He sent His only begotten Son into the world and to the cross to die for our sins. This is our relationship to God. And the moment we realize it, He says, it transforms everything. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, this is the nature of the relationship that you can have with God through Jesus Christ. Adopted into His family. Full access, full acceptance, not because you are irresistible, okay? Because the Lord Jesus Christ died 
paid the penalty for your sin, turned away the condemnation of the law, turned away the wrath of God, satisfied God so that there's no longer a penalty which must be paid by you for your sin because Jesus bore it all. God the Father is absolutely pleased with the death of his son, absolutely pleased with the substitution, the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf. God is completely satisfied in Jesus. And now the Bible says all who believe in Jesus by faith will be forgiven their sin and granted that relationship with the Father. So believe. Believe in Christ. He's the only Son of God. He's the only Savior. He's the only Lord. Believe. Express that to God. And you'll be ushered into that very same relationship. Well, as Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he goes on and he says, Pray our Father. Hallowed be your name. Pray prayers of adoration. This is how you talk to your Father. Pray prayers of adoration. Express the fact that we value God and His glory. Speak about how we love and treasure His character. Spend time in prayer just magnifying who God is. The more you know about Scripture, the more time you've had as a believer, the more intelligent this prayer can be. But magnify God for who He is, His character, what He's done, especially what He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. So pray our Father, then adore Him. Pray prayers of adoration. Then Jesus says in Matthew 6 that as we pray, we also pray for God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And so it shows that this is a daily prayer, right? Come to Him every single day for your provision. And then you pray for his forgiveness, because part of provision is not just daily bread, it's not just our physical needs, but it's also our spiritual needs, daily forgiveness. Not forgiveness for salvation, but this is Jesus at one point uh, with his disciples, remember when he was washing feet? And Peter said, oh, you can't wash my feet. Peter saying, no, you, I'm completely unworthy for you, the Lord, to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to be clean. And then Peter said, okay, fine, clean my whole body. And Jesus says, no, you're already washed. You just need your feet cleaned. What's the picture there? Through salvation, we are completely washed. Our sins are absolutely forgiven. You don't need to be rewashed. But daily as we walk through this life, and you picture in your mind the sandal-clad feet of a Middle Eastern man. He walks through uh, the dust and the dirt of the day, and his feet and his ankles become filthy, and they need to be washed every day. Maybe not the whole body, but the feet do. Well, that's the type of forgiveness we receive or ask for when we come to our Heavenly Father in prayer. My feet have gotten dirty. I've sinned. I've sinned in my thoughts. I've sinned in my actions. So, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. You don't need to be re-cleansed. Just the feet. Why? Because you're already in relationship. You're already in relationship. And that forgiveness is coming to you from the hand of your Father. And then Jesus tells us to pray for protection from temptation. So come to your Father, adore Him, pray for His provision, pray for His forgiveness, pray for His protection, protect me from temptation. Again, in the context of a loving relationship. Now, He values us, He hears us. Then I want you to see something else in John 10. John 10, 27. Not only does our Heavenly Father value us and hear us and know us, but He keeps us. He keeps us. One of the most sad consequences, for lack of a better word, one of the sad consequences, I think, as a dad, when you think about those who grow up in a home with an abusive father or an absent father or an apathetic father, whatever it is, is the insecurity that children have to grow up with. The insecurity. Never knowing where they stand in their relationship with their father, never knowing if dad's going to blow up today, or dad's going to be angry, or dad's going to chew me out, or just not having dad there to provide. It's this insecurity. One of the greatest things we can do for our children is provide security. A loving home where the kids grow up with a sense of security. Our Heavenly Father gives us that security. It would not be a very loving relationship if one, front, one moment from the next we didn't know what our status with God was. As if I have to in some way earn his acceptance or earn relationship with him day after day after day. That would not be very loving. But we are all going to continue on in our Christian life with a mental instability, just never knowing. Emotional instability, never knowing. But look at John 10 verse 27. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Understand that if you were to look at John 17 or look at John 6, we understand that the way that salvation works, and this is kind of a peek behind the sovereign curtain, the way that salvation works is that God the Father has those whom he gives to the Son. So you see that in John 17, you see it in John 6, where Jesus refers to those whom the Father has given him. The idea being that God the Father takes some, gives them to Jesus, and what that looks like practically is that God opens their heart to receive the gospel. And so they come, and then what the Bible says that the Son, Jesus, then receives those whom the Father gives, and then Jesus gives them eternal life. Then he keeps them. And then in John 17, when Jesus is approaching the cross, he then prays to the Father and says, now you keep them. Keep them in your name. And what we see in John 10, what we see in John 17, is both the Father and the Son, both are exercising divine power and authority for the purpose of keeping us secure in Him. In John 10, what Jesus says, that my sheep hear my voice and I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Why? He says, first, no one can snatch them out of my hand. But then he says, my Father is greater than all and nobody can snatch them out of His hand. Father and Son together, perfectly united in applying divine power and authority to keep us secure in our salvation. Have you struggled with insecurity? Are there other aspects of your life today that have been formed by the fact that you grew up with this incredible insecurity caused by a dysfunctional home or a dysfunctional relationship with your father? Jesus is saying is this relationship that you have with your father provides absolute security. Never going to be lost. God understands that what makes this relationship so incredibly fulfilling and satisfying, the reason why it is everything that we need is the fact that we are absolutely secure. And listen, the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, the fact that all of this security is based not upon our own goodness, but upon the worthiness of his son is what makes it all the more sweet He's accepted us on the basis of his own son's righteousness and not our own. And so we know there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves insecure in this relationship. This is, this is all unilateral. This is the father saying, I'm going to give you to my son. I'm going to open your heart to the gospel. My son is going to give you eternal life. I'm going to adopt you into my family. I am going to seal you and secure you, and my son will give you uh, resurrection power in the end. This is his doing for his son's sake. And we are caught up into that, and we are absolutely secure in that relationship. We often come to this passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, and it might be getting a little tiresome for you as I often return to this passage, but we're going to do it again. Romans 8, verse 26. Speaking of our security, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. By the way, that's the same Spirit that cries, Abba, Father, within us. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's that golden chain of salvation. It's unbreakable. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is, the climax has already been reached. He's already expressed the love to the greatest degree. What else would he ever withhold? Verse 33, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger 
or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You say that's an incredible passage. But there's two words that are probably the most important in the entire passage. And it's in the very last verse. Nothing should be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. In Christ. This relationship that we have with the Lord, this loving relationship in which he keeps us, in which nothing can ever separate us from his love, no matter what comes at us in this life, distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, whether it's things on earth or things in heaven, nothing can separate us. And the fact that Jesus Christ himself is interceding on our behalf, I mean, all the, all the doors are covered, right? Absolutely secure in this relationship. Why? Because... Everything that we have comes to us because we have been united with God in Christ. It's all for his sake. The conclusion we draw from this, if God is for us, nobody can be against us. We can never be separated from him. All of this is because of Jesus. Because we belong to him, because we've been united to him, God loves, loves us like he loves his own son. This incredible spiritual reality, very practical repercussions. Because God the Father loves us for Christ's sake and not on the basis of our own worthiness, this means that nothing even that you could ever do. There's nothing that you could ever do to cause them to forsake you. You say, what about those who seem to be Christians and now they don't seem to be Christians? Okay. Jesus said there's always going to be weeds among the wheat. There's always going to be wolves among the sheep. There's always going to be those who claim to be believers who are exposed at some point to not be genuine believers. But for those who have been predestined and foreknown and uh, who have been given His Holy Spirit and who eventually will be glorified, and for those who, who have been caught up in that golden chain of salvation, for those who have been given by the Father to the Son and given eternal life and promised resurrection, for those who have been adopted into the family, absolutely secure. Nothing that can ever be done by you or anyone else to see God forsake you. And so our security lies not in our worth or ability, but in the Father's acceptance of His own Son. In other words, if you are a genuine believer this morning, you are eternally secure. Never be separated from relationship with God because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Well, lastly, say that, okay, absolutely secure. God will never forsake us, just like any loving father. So that means we live however we want to live. You say, okay, I'm secure, so that means that's a free ticket. I can just live in my own immorality and sin. Thanks, God, uh, for all the gifts in Jesus' name, and now I'm going to go live however I want. Well, that misses a major biblical truth, at least one, Hebrews chapter 12. A loving father not only provides security, and a loving father not only knows you and values you and provides for you and so on, But a loving Heavenly Father, a loving Father in general does what? A loving Father also disciplines His children, doesn't He? A loving Father also disciplines His children. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that God the Father, by virtue of His loving relationship with us, loves us and chastises us. And what we're going to learn in Hebrews 12 is it's actually a gift within that relationship. Hebrews 12.4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Have you forgotten? He's your father and you're his children? This is the exhortation. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. There's two dangers there. Number one, just disregard it. Ah, you can do whatever I want. The Lord won't discipline me. Or don't be weary when reproved by him. Oh, Lord, it's too much. Uh, any difficulty that comes into your life, oh, what have I done? And you're weeping and you're wailing, and this is not fair. Why is this happening to me? Lord, why would you allow this to take place? Don't do either of those. Four, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives, receives, accepting, affirming, valuing, 
You think about a child who thinks his father is upset, comes in a room, thinks dad's upset. The dad, or a child looks at the dad. The dad just kind of looks at him and then just puts his arms open like this. And this sense of relief, a wave of relief kind of flows over the child and he runs to his dad and gets a big hug. It's kind of the idea of every son whom he receives, welcomes in, accepts, values, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The implication being that if you love your child, you're going to discipline your child. If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You want to know a measure, whether you're genuinely a child of God or not? Does he discipline you? Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. And so our earthly fathers may discipline us out of selfish motives. Just be quiet. You know, this is irritating. I don't know about you, but I have something with repetitive noises. If some, some noise repeats three or four times, I get, I, don't get angry. I get irritated. And so, if I'm studying, one of the rare times I'll come out of my office when I'm studying uh, is if I hear some repetitive noise over and over again. And I'll just come and just look. <laughs> just look into the living room or something. And then we understand we can need to stop that. Discipline, but it's all for my own sake. It's not for their sake. It's just completely for my own sake. And you discipline your own children that way sometimes, right? But then on the other hand, sometimes you discipline your children because there's certain character that you want to see formed in them. Well, our Heavenly Father disciplines us. Why? For our own, for our own good. And what is that good? That we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are, have been trained by it. And so God knows what's good for us, which is holiness and righteousness, and so he disciplines us for that purpose to develop that in our lives. But what does that look like practically? Well, sometimes that looks like God arranging providentially circumstances in our lives. Sometimes there's trials in our lives. Sometimes there's stresses in our lives, those things that try us. Those are all opportunities then under the pressure, the stresses of life then to learn those lessons. For God to purge sin from our own lives, for us to learn more about Him. The Lord at times works in our life, bringing us through things that are not disciplined, in the, uh, not uh, enjoyable in the moment. Developing proper character, holy character, righteousness. Have you experienced this since you became a believer? You thought, I'm a child of God now, now it's clear sailing. And you realize, oh, that's not the case. God disciplines those whom, whom he loves. He chastises those whom he loves. Sometimes it's the hardships, which are the wonderful evidence that God is busy working in our lives. Training us to love the world less. Training us to love him more. Training us to depend upon him more, to be more satisfied in him. Training us to long more for his ultimate kingdom. So, our relationship with our Heavenly Father, in conclusion, when we properly understand our relationship with God as our Heavenly Father, it's a cure for loneliness, because He knows us. It's a cure for a sense of worthlessness. I'm not worth anything. Well, don't be so arrogant, right? I'm worthless. Don't be so arrogant. What I mean by that is get your eyes off yourself. It's not about you. I'm worthless. Okay. It's neither here nor there, because put your eyes on Jesus. Our worth in God's eyes is determined by His Son. Cure for worthlessness, He values us, for Christ's sake. It's a cure for anxiety, because He provides for us. It's a cure for for insecurity, because He keeps us eternally. It's a cure for any fear or sense of rejection, because He forgives and He restores. So when we stumble and we fall and we fail and we think, well, now I've really messed it up, he forgives. So it's a cure for rejection. And so he knows us and he values us and he provides for us and he keeps us and he forgives us and he disciplines us. And ultimately, in the end, the promise is he's going to glorify us completely and then we're going to carry on in our relationship with him as our Heavenly Father for eternity. And so we've all had different upbringings which have affected us in different ways. Some of you this morning, you've had wonderful, fond memories of your father, good relationship with your dad. Your dad maybe was a believer, 
and frankly, he tried to exhibit the love and care and security uh, that we have in Christ. Others of us, however, recognize that our parents have messed us up. Some of the baggage that we brought into our spiritual lives is left over from our upbringing. You recognize it. You don't use that as an excuse. It can explain some things, but you don't use it as an excuse because God's given you everything you need to overcome this. So absence, abuse, apathy, they all leave an indelible mark on children grow up to be messed up adults. Mental, emotional character is affected well into adulthood. Consequently, many of us this morning are still dealing with this, still reeling from our upbringing, still reeling from our relationship with mom and dad. The good news is that in all of this, God knows that we're all broken. He knows that we're all products of a sinful world. He knows that when we came to Jesus for salvation, we came as broken people. In fact, he designed salvation for just such a people since there is no other kind of people. Now that we're saved, we have a relationship with him as a heavenly father. And he says, this is how you heal. This is how you heal. Know who I am as a father. Grow into that relationship. Know that he knows you. Knows that he knows who you are. Know that he knows your strengths and weaknesses, your struggles, your sin. Know that he knows how your life experiences have shaped you. He knows why you do the things you do. He knows why you think the way that you think. He knows this even while you're still trying to figure it out. Even knowing everything about us, he values us. Not for our own sake, but for Jesus' sake. Not because of our goodness, not our personal worthiness, not because God, uh, but because God purchased our salvation with his precious blood. If you have a precious treasure, if you have a priceless treasure, what would you do with that thing? Something in your house is absolutely priceless. What would you do with it? Keep it on the edge of the mantle? Keep it on the edge of the mantle right where everybody walks by every day? What would you do? You'd keep it safe. You'd protect it at all costs. That's exactly what our Heavenly Father does for us since he's purchased us with the valuable blood of his own son. There'll never be a time when God will abandon us. Next, not only does our Heavenly Father know us and value us and keep us, but he delights to hear from us. He invites us to pray, and that prayer begins our Father. And lastly, because God loves us and is therefore working to make us more and more like Jesus and less and less like our sinful pasts, he lovingly disciplines us when we need it. He does that through circumstances, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He seeks to wean us off of this world and to teach us to find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in him. Because of Jesus, we're safe and secure in that relationship. It's from that position of security, from that position of security, that we can now spend the rest of our lives learning more and more about who he is, what he's done for us in Jesus, and how he's working to change us by his spirit. That's the relationship that he invites us into. That's the relationship he's adopted us into. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this relationship is the relationship that God would have with you through his son. And if, you, if your mind goes to, but I'm, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And Jesus loves you in your sin. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is, while we were rebels, while we were enemies. All right, He saves us while we are in rebellion against him. And so if that's you this morning, say, I don't have a relationship with God, uh, maybe you're an out-and-out rebel. I don't know. Maybe you don't think yourself an out-and-out rebel, but it doesn't matter either way. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What must you do? Well, don't work for it, because you know what happened if you worked for your salvation? You'd become arrogant about it, and you'd brag about it. Look what I've done. The Bible says salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not works so that we will not boast. It's all about Christ. So what must you do? You must believe and say, it's all of God. It's all him. He loved me. He sent his son for me. It's unilateral. He did it. He receives all the glory. And all I can do is just bow the knee and confess, Lord, I believe it. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died. I believe that he's the only means of salvation. I confess him as the only way to be saved. And frankly, I submit to him as the only Lord. And you do that and say, Lord, this is all you're doing. This is all you're working. And it's not about you. But then you get ushered into relationship with the Father, and the Father wants to bestow blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and gift upon gift upon gift. And he wants to provide for you and bring you into this intimate relationship. Why? Because you deserve it? No. So that you will give all the glory to him through his Son. Right? So he's calling you to that relationship. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, he would save you. 
And so pray and express that to the Lord. Seek his forgiveness. Forgive me for my sin. I need to be saved. And I know Jesus is the only way. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you. As we think about Father's Day, and Lord, we do value your design for family. And we do wish to honor your design for family by recognizing fathers. But even as we do that, we recognize as fathers that we learn best how to be fathers by looking at you. You presented yourself as the perfect heavenly father. Pray for the dads this morning. Help us to show the same love to our children that you show to us. Help us to give them that sense of acceptance, affirmation, and security. Help them to feel that unconditional love. Help us, even as we discipline our children, to do it for their good. So help us to show them the love of Christ. We ourselves, being your children and being the recipients of your loving fatherhood, help us also to display that to our own children. We pray that that would serve well to usher them into relationship with you. And then, Lord, we pray this morning for those who uh, may be suffering as a result of their upbringing, their relationship with their own fathers. Especially as men, we learn to be cold, we learn to become callous, we learn how to cope with life uh, in ways that are unhelpful at times. We're all somewhat still reeling from not having a proper upbringing with our dads. I pray for these men, help them to learn vulnerability, help them to learn how to come to you, to pour out their hearts, help them to learn the intimacy and loving relationship that uh, you have designed for them through Christ. So help us as men to grow into that relationship, fulfillment and satisfaction in you. Help us to learn more and more what it means that you are our Heavenly Father. So help us as Christian men to grow in that relationship. And then lastly, for those who are not saved, I pray that you will Create that faith in them, them to believe in Jesus as your Son, as Savior, and as Lord. We pray that these also would experience that wonderful relationship with you, adopted into your family. Lord, we thank you for all of this in Jesus' name.